Welcome back to the program. My guest, William Greider, has spent 40 years as a reporter. He's the author of several books. He has consistently warned about America's trade deficits, our national debt, our crumbling infrastructure, our inadequate health care system, and an unfettered capitalism unconcerned often with equity and security. It is my pleasure to welcome William Greider, who's the National Affairs Correspondent for the Nation, to this program to talk about his new book, Come Home, America, The Rise and Fall and Redeeming Promise of Our Country. William Greider, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. As we look at the state of the crisis today, there were a lot of people that thought that the financial crisis, that what was transpiring in the Middle East, that all these things would coalesce in a way that would create a kind of new politics, a new way of looking at politics in America. And in fact, uh, as we look at it now, uh, the beginning of this year, things are pretty much the way they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's, it's, as I said, it, I tried to say in my book, uh, we're at a pivotal turn in our history, and it's it's going to be tough, and it's you know a hard passage. But I think when I wrote that book, I was a little too optimistic about how quickly uh, not just politicians but people in general would 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 come to terms with the new realities. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the book trying to explain that, look, this is not the end of our story. In fact, we can become a better place on the other side of this deep ditch. And and so it's the book reads very optimistic to most people today, um, and I don't regret that. But I realize now there is a deep longing, and it's clear in the political system. But I think it's also shared by a lot of just ordinary citizens. We want to go back to the way we had it, right, and and restore the the what are now going to be understood as the good old days and my message is no that's not in the cards unfortunately but but in order to have an alternative to what what you describe as the good old days somebody has to paint a picture of what a new day might look yeah. might look like and and i don't think that that there is a sense of what that might be well that's what i'm trying to do in this book and I, and it's uh it's a lot of things which which we have uh, we we didn't do it, but the government or the or the economic system or the bankers or whoever pushed off and ignored or or just even belittled as as uh, fanciful, and they're now they're now coming home in in pretty obvious ways. And I'm I'm, I'm speaking here not just to the, the what the unregulated financial system did, but uh, but ecology and 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 the crisis of global warming, and uh, the fact that we are now this peaceable nation is now fighting two wars uh, in foreign lands and has the ingredients in line to fight some more wars. Uh, uh, I can go on and on like this, but we're not we're not yet ready to say to ourselves that's over. And we need to reshape uh, not just the economy, but the society in lots of of ways, which I think, uh, underneath everything else, people would welcome. The problem, of course, is that the political system ain't ready to do that. And and, and I, I, I was and am a big fan of Barack Obama 
and excited by his election, but his administration, uh, a bit like the status quo in Congress, doesn't want to disturb too greatly uh, the old order. And and I think if he doesn't change that rather soon, he will become a victim of, of, of the sort of un, unchanging power of most obviously Wall Street, but other interests that that uh, that are doing okay. They, they don't have any interest in changing it. Has, and that's why I think it has to come from the people. But in, there, there is a sense that that people as well, and 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 arguably it's where some of this wellspring of anger comes from today. That people are not comfortable with change either. I agree. I agree. Well, I guess I speak for the left, such <laughs> as it is, and I I think. Uh, I would say it just a little bit differently, and but basically I agree with you. But but I would say the left is not well prepared for this moment, and I, I say that as somebody who's been writing about some of these issues for 25, 30 years, and the institutions that failed, like the Federal Reserve and so forth and so on. But I think there was a feeling um, among liberal left Democrats and others that well, someday we'll have to think hard about the future, but that's a waste of time now because the conservative order is so powerful and so dominant that uh, that it's almost uh, frivolous to think about big change. And I, I was one of those sort of crank voices that kept writing in the nation and elsewhere, let's talk about big ideas now because the moment is coming when all this is going to break down. And uh, here we are. And I say this with uh, it, it's a it's a really interesting dilemma because I, I you know I've got lots of friends who are active in not just politics per se but economists who think about the future and so forth and so on and on the whole they don't have a well defined agenda. If you bring up ideas, they will say nod and say yeah that's good that's a good thought. But you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. there the the left liberal labor forces that I believe can still be the drivers of big change are uh, are not quite ready and but, and meanwhile the right is 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 nostalgic for you know small government and balanced budgets and a whole list of things that are totally out of the picture i mean they just they're not going to happen for lots of reasons and 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 they're indulging themselves by pretending we can go back to what, 1920 or 1890? Of course, in the midst of this, there is this, this basic desire for success, a desire to recover from the current financial crisis, yeah. a, a desire to have success in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's a little like the patient that has the heart attack and promises that, gee, if I recover from this, I'll exercise, I'll stop smoking, I'll do all these things, <laughs> until they recover, and then it's a whole other story. And I'm, and I'm arguing that recovery is itself an artificial concept. We are in a new condition as a country, and that should be obvious in in the economics. But but I think it's also um, powerfully clear to younger people. If you have conversations with younger people, which I try to do, um, they were already in this new world, in a way, in a way that us older folks didn't want to acknowledge but you know they're they're if if they are quote successful as you say they wind up burdened in debt i mean just to get educated 
and they go out into the job market and they discover that all these things that were going to save them and give them a, you know, ensure them of a happy, prosperous life are, if not gone completely, shrunken in ways that they realize. And this is this is not simply a reflection of the of the deep recession, although that makes it worse. And so they're trying in their in their way to rethink, okay, what is the good life? And I, I, I feel like we should all get in a big room somewhere and let the young people tell us what they think. But, but is that not similar to the way the baby boomers, for example, saw the world back in the 60s and 70s and then eventually became co-opted by the system? Will this younger generation become co-opted in the same way? Well, I think a lot of younger people that I talk to would love to be co-opted if they, if they could Good point. See, if they could see it in the cards. But they uh, and obviously all generalizations about about young people or old people or anybody sure. else are, are are bound to be wrong because every every generation is uh, is diverse and and uh, in conflict with itself and so forth and so on. But uh, what I'm talking about is that I mean, take some of the less um, provocative assertions one is the nature of the destruction that that our economic prosperity does to nature you know, we're talking about global warming and poisons in the land and the river and so forth and so on uh, young people come naturally to to uh, because they I don't know why they 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 watch Sesame Street when they were little or something. Some reasons they're they're comfortable with acknowledging that big change in consumption patterns has to happen, and that means that means an industrial transformation which will be difficult but doable. Whereas older people say, as you suggested, okay, okay, we'll do that later when we get out of this ditch. And and uh, and I'm suggesting is. Uh, we don't have that option anymore. And in war making, there was a belief, it's still strong in a lot of quarters, that America can virtuously go around and uh, the world and either help or force countries to adopt uh, civil government uh, that's more like ours and uh, and uh, and other reforms. And we keep we keep losing that bet. We again. We I didn't do it, or you, but right. but you know what I mean. The society hopes for that and keeps getting disappointed at great cost and and loss of life. And I'm warning that this institution of militarism, which is really what it is, has to change profoundly. Uh, Partly because it's so dangerous to us. Never mind what it does to the people on the other end. It's it, it is. I write in the book. This is the military institution. Ironically and tragically, is now the greatest threat to our peace and security because it's got tripwires laid all around the world. And you, you can read the newspaper and see what I'm talking about. Suddenly, we're dropping predator bombs in Yemen, and we bomb Somalia. What, how did we how did we wind up doing that? And there you know there are a dozen, two dozen other places where we can use the same set of justifications to not declare war, but to just start to go into to a foreign country and and start 
using arms. Uh, you have to stop me because I can go on and on with this list. I'm, what I'm really, I'll tell you what I'm hoping for, is that this book will help people to at least think a little about what kind of country would they like in the future after we accept the fact that we're not going to be the, the, the biggest guy on the block, uh, fabulously wealthier and therefore more powerful and and really in charge of the world. And, and isn't that the key point, whether we're talking about the domestic economic issues that we started out with or, or militarism and the war on terror, that, that what's required is kind of a redefinition of the American proposition, a restatement exactly. of who we are. And until we begin to come to grips with that, the rest of it is just process. Yes, and the, and the process uh, that the status quo uh, is familiar with, in not just government, but in the private sectors and, and the universities and everywhere else, has it has a kind of weight of its own that it, it will roll forward whether we do anything or not so uh, what i'm hoping for and i think it now seems more and more likely or at least possible that as as this disappointing reality comes home not just next year or the year after but for some years to come people will be sufficiently aroused and yes angered to to to, to uh, engage themselves, and I'm I'm a little vague about how they do that, but I but I have a lot of confidence, based on American history, that that can happen. And as it does happen, I I literally believe that the American people can be the driving force for change of the system that exists now, and all of the what I regard as destructive values that that, that system has. So some people will hear that and say, oh, boy, is he around the moon, you know? I mean, that's just what, hope, hopeless. <laughs> well, what gives you reason to be optimistic? What gives you reason to think that, that people, other than the populist rage on the right and the anger that yeah. comes from that, will in fact engage in a process that addresses these things? You know, my own children ask me that question. <laughs> what, do you, what makes you think any of this <laughs> stuff is possible? And, and my answer, actually, I'm, I'm, my optimism is is fairly confident for two confident for two reasons. Um, and I'm not a fool; I, I know the facts. But I know um, American history, and I and I respond that this is the story of American history from beginning. That the big change, fundamental um, reordering of things really came mostly from the bottom up. Yes, there were great leaders and heroes of uh of uh, the academy and elsewhere, but 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 the but the true driving force was people organizing themselves in reaction to and in rebellion against the against the uh, the established order. The other part of it is more personal. I I've, I've been a reporter for many years, nearly half a century. And I spent a lot of time around this country dropping in on people's lives often in pretty pretty bad moments like civil rights conflicts and so forth and i spent a lot of time talking to the people at the top of this system the the you know the people in power including high finance so 
so I feel like I know this country in a way most people don't get a chance to to do, and I and I come away with this sort of breathless faith in the decency and honesty and intelligence of ordinary Americans. And I yes, there are a lot of fools and there's some scoundrels and all you know the bad people in this society as well, but on the whole, I've seen so many times what ordinary people do when they engage themselves in in political struggle or in maybe inside a company or just a community that that needs something changed and so i'm i'm not going to let go of the idea that those same people if they get the confidence if they get the uh, the the anger to 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 step up can achieve great things that's that's a kind of wobbly notion of what this country is about, but but I think the history confirms it. From a historical perspective, though, when we look at the established order of things, have we ever seen a time where the amount of money and power that that is vested with the established order has been stronger and more fortress-like than it is today? I don't know. I'm... I'm um I'm leery of uh, of uh, of deciding ours is the worst of all times. <laughs> this country has been through some really bloody passages that didn't last for a couple of years. They lasted for decades. Um, and the, the abolitionists who were uh, righteous but marginal started campaigns against slavery. In a, I mean, in an organized sense, in the in the earliest years of the 19th century, mm-hmm. and they and they were reviled, ridiculed, um, ignored, and yet um, they stung, hung in there, um, and you could say they were 50 or 60 years premature. But of course, what they were trying to accomplish was peaceful change where this country would renounce the original sin of slavery and change without fighting a civil war. And in that sense, you'd say, well, they failed. Well, they understood the odds were against them. And and I think you can take the the history of, of race relations in this country or labor relations, what, what are the rights of a worker, uh, as, as, as a storyline that's, that continued. It wasn't neither. Neither of those were fully resolved. Think of the rights of women. How long that? And I know that discourages some people because it says, "Oh my gosh, you're talking generations." Well, yes, that's where deep change comes from. Generations passing on when they fail to achieve their goals, to pass it on to 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 the next generation within a family or within a political party or anything else. I'm asking people to accept a certain humility about their convictions. Nothing promises that they will prevail, um, but if you but if these are real convictions, you, you, your your place is to stand up for them and and pass them on. That's I mean I'm describing how I feel about myself. I've written a lot of books that have been basically ridiculed by responsible people. <laughs> 
I accept that. I understand that. I knew it when I was writing the books. But I do feel like I'm passing it on, and and uh, and I don't mean that I'm about to leave the scene, but I just did. You know what I mean? And I hear do, do I hear from these young people who somehow or other stumbled on one of my books, maybe in college, and I left something in their consciousness, and, and I feel good about that. Do we have the attention span today to, to stick with it in, in the way you're talking about? Well, we were overwhelmed, no question, and, and me too, by by the uh, by just the shower of media and and uh, sources of information and all the rest, and and uh, and we're also manipulated by the mass market messages, uh, not just in politics but in commerce, etc. But I think of those technologies actually as a great tool, which people are also learning how to use themselves. Uh, and I, this is—I don't think this is quite as distinctive as as people imagine. There was always a lot of noise in our society, and and yes, the the more technology elaborated communications the noise got more complicated and louder and so forth and so on. But I think you, know, you come down to the ground where people live. Uh, most people, in my experience, this is not a question of left or right, liberal, conservative, but most people understand what it is they want and need in their lives and what they need especially for their children. They are frustrated and often blocked in those, in those aspirations because of the way the system works. So so they are some of them, maybe most of them, I agree, are resigned, right? They alienated. They just say, well, it's hopeless. You can't change the system. But that's also always been true, right? So the change always has come from those people who for whatever personal reasons uh looked up and said, "Wait a minute. I don't have to take this. I'm going to do what I can to change it." That's what I'm cheering for, rooting for in American society, that feeling. And, and, and of course, the countervailing force defined by Yeats, that the, the best are lack all conviction while the worst are filled with passionate intensity. Well, yes, I suppose uh, that's also always true. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I don't want to sound like uh, uh, we're living in a, in a simple eternity of the same processes, but... I actually think I think one of the things, for instance, which is really new, and it's put aside the 60s uh, uh, actions, if you're talking to somebody and say in their 20s or early 30s now, and this is all generalizations are wrong. I, I, mm -hmm. I stipulate, but but I'm hearing from young people now a kind of excitement about the newness of their situation. Their, their predicament, and they feel like the young people who came before them were all sort of uh, confined and wrote in their behavior and boring, you know, all the rest. So, I mean, this is maybe, too, also a, a human phenomenon that every new generation thinks they're inventing the world again. Mm -hmm. But that's good, right? I mean, that's, what, that's, our, that's our energy source, really. And so I'm, 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 I guess I'm, I'm not ready to give up on this country. I think, I, and I, and I don't mean that. In, I mean that in an anti-establishment way. I think, 
I think uh, I see lots of bubbles around the country, reformers of one kind or another. Um, they look hopeless, maybe just to outsiders. They look uh, sort of naive. But I think the naive and the uh, and the uh, idealists are the ones who change things. William Greider, his book is Come Home America, The Rise and Fall and Redeeming Promise of Our Country. Bill, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you.